Welcome once again to the Grade A Movies Podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. Grade A Movies Podcast features Adam Austin, who is the proprietor of Donatello's Restaurant in downtown Carmel and uh, serves on the Carmel City Council as well. Alec Toombs is also with us, a writer for Grade A Movies and a lover of film. All three of us obviously are lovers of film, and that's why we continue this. We, uh, Adam and I had a Hamilton County Goes to the Movies podcast for several years. We've expanded it now to include Alec and, and to sort of uh, zero in on the uh, content that you have on Grade A Movies. That's content written by Adam and Alec. Adam, welcome again. Good to see you, Larry. Alec, the same. Great to have you with us. Good to see you, Larry and Adam. Thanks for having me. And last time that uh, we all did this, uh, we had some scheduling difficulties, so I had to interview each of you separately. That was no fun at all. It's best to have all three of us together. So uh, I just want to uh, say that all three of us have a little something that we want to touch on. Uh, I'm going to start off with this. I'm going to talk a little bit later about the movie theater business, which is in a scary financial position right now. Uh, the movie making business isn't doing uh, so badly because uh, they have so many different platforms they can use. Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Peacock is starting up. So there are many streaming platforms and the uh, the old uh, standard platforms of HBO Showtime and those, those kinds of uh, platforms. So movie making seems to be doing rather well. The movie theater business is a whole different situation. Alec, I want you to start. You were, of the three of us, you're the one that really seemed to like Tenet the most. But yet I think Tenet has, Tenet is, is I think, at, at the center of the problem for the movie business, because uh, particularly the theater business, because the theater owners were banking on that movie to take them out of the coronavirus. And whether you liked or didn't like Tenet or were in the middle, uh, the fact is, Tenet didn't perform very well at the theater. Right. I'm not sure what its current box office is. I think I heard something about like 36 million recently is its total U.S. box office as of right now on a budget of 200 or 225 million dollars. Um, from what I understand, it's doing better internationally. I think it's somewhere in the like 250, 300 million dollar range worldwide at this point. So it's not an unmitigated disaster. But uh, it, I'm sure it has scared other studios and filmmakers uh, away from releasing their films this year. Yeah, and that's a great point, Adam. I'm going to ask you about that because uh, Tenet was a disappointment in U.S. terms. Uh, it is starting to make the investment back internationally. But yet, uh, right now, the theater owners have got to wonder, what are we going to do next? Wonder Woman has been set back. All the big blockbuster films that normally come out in the summer – are now pushed off to later. Uh, can these theater owners hang on? Not without quality content. Um, the movie theater experience is fun, but now we have so many more options with Netflix, home TVs, and home theater systems with sound being much better than they were, that it, we, they were having trouble pre-COVID. We've talked about this before. That's why some of them have pumped up their concessions with alcohol or full meals. Some of them went to the kind of Flicks brew house studio grill model where you're served there. Um, more comfortable seats. Uh, they're trying to find ways to bring people in. Now you have two things that are kind of really, well, actually three things that are deterring people from going back to the movie theaters. One, some people don't feel safe. Um, I felt safe in my experience, and I know Alex said too. I don't know you. You went to a theater, Larry. You've been. Yeah. I've been to a couple. I've been to a theater a couple of times. A landmark theater in both cases, and I'm going to say landmark theater was they were like over. They were on and everything. I mean, just for an example, the restrooms, which aren't terribly big in that theater, it's not a huge theater complex, but. They only allow four people in each restroom at a time. And if you are having to wait, they have the little markers on the floor how far away you need to be from the door before you can go in. Uh, I, I have found that uh, at least that theater, that's been my only experience so far. They were like over the top and trying to make sure that people felt safe. What was? Let me go to Alec. What was your experience in the movie theater, Alec? I've been to a theater three times um, since COVID started. Um, 
I saw a private screening with Adam of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark at the uh, State Museum IMAX. We rented that theater out. Oh, really? There was, I think, 12 of us Mm -hmm. there. And we distanced. We wore masks walking around. Uh, I felt safe there. I've seen two movies at the AMC Traders Point 12 near my home. Um, Both times felt safe. And, And the movies weren't very well attended. If you want a social distance, you can do it in a movie theater right now. So I think, yeah, I, go ahead, please go ahead. Adam. So I think whether, you know, our, our experience is that it's safe, but there's still a general perception for people that they don't feel safe going to the movie theater. And let's be honest, um, some of it could be political, some of it could be uh, media, but whatever reason, people are out there, they, they don't feel safe. And I can't judge anyone for not feeling safe. So everyone do what you feel comfortable. But that's the truth is some people don't feel safe. But beyond that, I think there, there, are, there are enough people who do feel safe. We know people are going out. We see them at bars. We see them at restaurants. So why aren't they going to the movie theaters? Because there's enough people who are going out and do feel safe doing things. Well, I think part of the reason is, two: one, the movies just aren't very good right now. Tenet, me and Larry weren't as high on it as Alec, but... Critically, it's one of uh, Christopher Nolan's lower-rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, at least according to audience score. And even critical score, it's not as high as some of his others. I have to check that. Um, Some of the other movies that are out right now, The New Mutants was kind of seen as a flop. Uh, I think Alec kind of gave it a... a Yeah, gave it two and a half, maybe. Yeah. And the ones that people are really excited about, Wonder Woman, um, James Bond... um, Black Widow. Yeah, a lot of these films are getting pushed back. So it's like having a beautiful restaurant with terrible food. Well, you know, you got to have something to bring (laughs) me in. Uh, You got to have content. And I think beyond that, too, here's another thing. I would go see movies in theaters that maybe weren't the best movie ever, but it was fun to be in the theater. But I think part of it was, and this is my theory, there's a desire for all of us to be part of a cultural conversation. When everyone is going to the theater to see the new Marvel movie, there's maybe a desire in a lot of us not to wait for it to be on rental or streaming. We want to see it now so we can talk to our friends who also went and saw the Marvel movie or also went and saw the Oscar movie that just came out. We can talk on Facebook or talk in person about something that's happening. A lot of people aren't going. So there isn't this cultural conversation about some of these films that are going on. The cultural conversation that people want to be a part of right now really is TV shows on streaming. Did you watch Tiger King? Did you watch Cobra Kai? These are the things that you feel left out if you didn't be a part of it, if you didn't see it. But right now, if you went and saw Tenet, nobody else really saw it. So there's not really anyone to talk to the movie about. Uh, Adam, I have to say, you may be the first person I've ever seen use the word Marvel movie and culture in the same sentence. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, there is a cultural aspect in all seriousness. I'm, it's a bit of a joke there. But no, I, I do think you're right. And the culture has shifted. Now, whether it can come back, I've got to tell you, I, I want to ask each of you what you've been seeing lately. But I, I ran across some some numbers on the theater industry. And I want to share some of this uh, that I found from a reliable source, I, source, rather, IBIS World, which is a business marketing firm. And this may not surprise you, but in this year, 2020, factoring in that the theaters were closed for months and slowly are reopening with lower than normal uh, caps on their audiences. Really, caps haven't been much of a problem, as you mentioned. The projected total decline in revenue for all movie theaters in America, 62.6%. That's still high even considering all those factors. The other uh, thing that you need to keep in mind is what we've already talked about, and this is what the business people are saying, the blockbusters have been moved out of the summer because summer is normally a big income time for the theater industry. And as I think most of you know, we've we've had, I know Adam and I have had many theater operators on our Hamilton County Goes to the Movie podcast. And uh, most of the movie 
revenue. Most of the revenue you pay to go see the movie goes to the to the theater, not to the theater, but to, it goes to the studio and the people from, from, uh, who are producing the content. Most of their profits come from what Adam talked about a moment ago, food and, and drink and these other things that they're trying to provide. So no blockbusters means fewer people in the theater. Um, I think that the only thing we need, another part of this we need to consider, and, and think about this. We, Adam, you and I have talked about this before the pandemic. The theater business was on the ropes before this happened. And it's partially because the big chains, AMC, I think is the biggest chain with this, are heavily leveraged. I mean, they've got a ton of debt. They expanded quickly and bought up some other chains and became the biggest chain in America. And the price for that was all this debt. So um, the, 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 the overall, this is another statistic, and I just I want you guys to talk about this. I'm just going to mention a couple more. Between 2015 and 2020, there was no growth in the movie theater industry. It's down 16.6%. So this started before 2020. If there is a grain of good news in this, it's that people who run the numbers and crunch the numbers on this and are the business side are convinced that there will be a huge pent-up demand in going to the movies once we have an ability to do that and feel safe as as, uh, as Adam talked about, the IMAX, the XD technology is catching on with certain films, more certain films than others. But overall, there really isn't a, a number they've pegged this on being the people who are who crunch those numbers. But they are convinced, even with all that bad news, that the movie theater business is is in for a financial renaissance. I think the key is paying their bills. I mean, bankruptcies, reorganizations, all this may happen. Alec, I'm going to bring you into this. Uh, after hearing all that news, uh, what do you think? I mean, I, I don't know if the theater the theater business will continue in some form, but it will be as large Will we see these chains continue. I, I'm just curious what you think. I, I certainly hope they can. I mean, to me, the movie theater is almost like my church. I know that's sacrilegious to some people, but cinema is pretty much my religion and the movie theater is my church. Um, I hope they'll continue onward. I hope they can weather the storm and I hope there are better days ahead. I, I don't know. Um, I know movies are going to be made and distributed regardless of if there's theaters or not. Uh, the movie industry may just look a lot different than what it looked like pre COVID. We're probably going to see a lot of the movies, uh, they haven't been making in recent years, probably more mid budgeted, maybe even more adult oriented, uh, films rather than the $200 million, $300 million Marvel, Star Wars, so on and so forth. Well, Adam, you're a business owner yourself. You know that uh, raw numbers are important. You can't uh, ignore them. Uh, tell me your thoughts. Well, I think right now um, we're seeing theaters are slow to adapt. I mean, it's hard because they have a lot of real estate. Uh, it takes a lot of land. They have to pay a lot of rent. And these are hard costs that you can't just adjust on the fly. You can't, uh, a lot of theaters have gone through remodels in order to change, to make it more comfortable or to try to get more screens in there uh, so they can get as many movies in there as possible. But those construction costs cost a lot of money. Um, theaters just not very, the industry is not very nimble at times when it comes to the actual theaters. And uh, with things changing so much, it's going to be really hard for them. You know, I had a real estate uh, professional, a man who knows a lot about uh, commercial development in central Indiana, who once told me that uh, when it comes to if you build building golf courses in central Indiana, he said, not in every case, but in a large number of cases, when you build a, a golf course in central Indiana, because of the number of months that the weather's good enough to play, most golf courses that are commercial go through three bankruptcies before they're profitable. What does that say? They have to shed their debt before they can actually make any money. So I'm beginning to wonder, will we see a shakeout in the movie theater business? Will we see AMC, you know, go through a bankruptcy and come out a much different company? Will we see a different paradigm? Uh, Alec talked about that. Will we see 
not just the big uh, megaplexes, will we see smaller movie theaters and neighborhoods? Alec, you want to just, uh, I'm going to hear Adam, but Alec, I want you to chime in on this. I'm just, right now, I'm not certain the movie theater is really going to be a thing moving forward. I hope it is, but um, I think Netflix and Hulu and Prime, oh, Disney Plus, these might be how we're seeing our movies moving forward. I hope that's not the case, but it wouldn't shock me. So I, I'm a little worried, Larry, um, for a couple reasons. One, I feel like if you take a whole year off from going to the movie theater and seeing movies, uh, it's hard to get people back into that habit. A whole, people um, who are going to the movie theater once a month or maybe in Alex's case, once a week or more than once a week. Usually twice at least. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> without a whole year of doing that, you find other things to spend your time on. Suddenly you're like, okay, well, I'll, I'll start playing this video game or I'll pick up a new hobby and that fills your time. And then when movie theaters come back, you're like, well, did I miss it that much? Some people did and will come right back. Others may say, I moved on to other things. This is my analogy. It's like if the Colts have a really terrible season and I don't watch them or there's a strike and they're, they're, the team's not playing for a whole year, and then next year they're back and, oh, yeah, we're going to come back and the strike's over and we're going to come watch the sports. And you're like, well, I used to watch the team on Sundays and now I decided to go on bike rides with my family and I kind of like that. So I think I'll just do that instead. Habits, you have to build these habits. And when you break these habits for people, it is tough. I also worry, though, because if movie theaters don't come back, I think it's going to affect what types of movies are made. I really think they make a different type of movie when it's streaming only than if it's going to be a big box office, they have to big screen kind of movie. I also think they give directors a little more leeway creatively, which is kind of cool. But as we've seen with some movie that we're going to talk about later, giving directors free reign to do whatever they want can be dangerous too. Amen. We say we have several examples and then sometimes they do a good job. Other times it's like, oh, they had too much money, too much uh, leeway and uh, nobody was watching the store. And then look out, look at what we have at the end. Uh, OK, I think we talked about that. But the movie industry, as far as producing films, because of all the platforms out there, I mean, I look at HBO. They're putting out some outstanding, outstanding quality product right now, even with the difficulty that you're having make uh, producing films are finding ways around that and they had some uh they had some material and content in the can before all this started and, and the other platforms i think netflix being the biggest in, in the not necessarily the best in every case okay let's talk about what everybody's watching alec tell me what you've seen lately and what you think of it try to think i haven't been watching a a ton. I've been pretty busy, but uh, within the last week, I watched uh, a Netflix movie called The Devil All the Time. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I have not seen that. No. Um, I'm kind of in the minority here. I thought it was quite good. A lot of folks locally didn't seem to much care for it. It has an outstanding cast. Uh, Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man. Uh, Robert Pattinson, who's going to be Batman. Uh, Sebastian Stan, who plays Bucky Barnes or the Winter Soldier in the Captain America movies, is in it. Uh, Riley Keough, who's a very good actress, and Elvis's granddaughter is in it. Um, Jason Clark, forgetting some people. Uh, Harry Melling, who was in The Old Guard earlier this year and played Dudley Dursley as a little kid, is in it. Uh, Mia Vasakaska is in it. Um, really good cast. So um, I thought it was good. It's dark. Um, it's not the happiest movie. It does sort of seem to be a bit of a condemnation of Christianity, which will probably turn some people off, but I thought the movie was quite strong. And just a condensed version of the plot. Um, the story begins in the 1940s and sprawls all the way into the mid-60s. Uh, there's a, a young man who serves in World War II, uh, comes home, takes place in Ohio and in West Virginia, kind of on the border there. And um, he has a, a son. Things kind of go haywire. The son lives with other people. Uh, it's pretty much uh, awful things happening to both good and bad people. It's a crime picture. It's sprawling. 
all these characters kind of interconnect. I don't want to go too much into the plot, but I really oh, just, just, okay, just want to give people an idea what it's about. Adam, your turn. What have you seen lately? What do you think of it? So I'll give you some new things and then some old things, and I'll probably be quick. Uh, new things, uh, I did review on Grade A Movies and on the film, yeah, Enola Holmes, um, which is a new Sherlock Holmes adaptation uh, starring Millie Bobby Brown, which you might know as Eleven, the bald-headed, or at least season one bald-headed, telekinetic um, girl who doesn't talk much. Um, she's a very talented actress. She plays Sherlock Holmes' younger sister in a movie based on a series of young adult novels, and they've already announced they're going to make very many sequels, like maybe six or something. This could have easily been a TV show or five. Don't make as many as people watch, I suppose. Don't make uh, 11 in honor of Bo Millie Bobby Brown. 11 yeah. sequels. She'll, be, she'll have gray hair by the time they make all of these. It'll be like <laughs> that last Harry Potter movie where Harry Potter's got that deep voice at the end. You're like, all right. Ron, Ron's got a full mustache by the final movie. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it was good. I mean, the, like any kind of Sherlock Holmes or whodunit, uh, the plot itself, the mystery was kind of disposable. I didn't really care about who the villain was or what was revealed. That's not really the point in a lot of these movies. The point is the fun along the way of them finding the clues. And really, it's a star vehicle for her. This is only her second movie. She was on, of course, the Netflix show Stranger Things. But besides that, she had a small role in the Godzilla sequel, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Really didn't get to do much there. This, she's witty. She's verbose. She's confident. Uh, very different than the character we saw in Stranger Things. And she does a good enough job that I think she has a bright future. I saw glimpses of what we saw in, in Anne Hathaway or Natalie Portman when they were child actresses. Of course, they both went on to win Oscars one day. I'm not saying that's necessarily in her future. It'll all depend on which movie she picks. As, as you know, movie selection is a very key to a Hollywood success. But this is one that you and the wife could watch together. Larry, your wife will probably like it. Jane okay. would like it too, Alex. <laughs> I know she wants to watch it, so probably. Um, and, you'll pro and neither of you will be bored. So if you can find a good movie that you can watch with your wife, that's always good. And even uh, children of a certain age, probably 11 or 12 or older, will probably enjoy it too. I also watched, and I got to talk about this one, I'm thinking of ending things. This has become kind of the critical darling from a lot of people because there aren't a lot of films to love right now. It is the newest feature by Charlie Kaufman, which you might know as the screenwriter of uh, uh, Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, uh, and Eternal uh, uh, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Those are three of my favorite movies, great films. He wrote the screenplays for all of them. He didn't direct any of those movies. Spike Jones did two of them. Michelle Gondry did Eternal Sunshine. He did his directorial debut with Schenectady, New York, a very scattershot and confusing film that throws a lot of ideas uh, and has its champions, people who love that movie, but people like me uh, thought that maybe a more competent director would have handled the more confusing screenplay. And it's the same problem with this film. Uh, it's based on a novel that is equally as confusing. I actually had to go on Wikipedia and read the plot summary of what the book was to maybe try to get some idea. And that didn't make any sense. This is a film where there are it starts off very normally and things suddenly start to become very odd. And then you realize some things are off. And then you realize some things may just be in the character's mind. And by the end, you have yourself wondering what was real and what was in the character's brain. And the ending will disappoint some people. But it is a film you really have to pay attention to, which is tough for Netflix because I don't know about some of you, uh, I have a two-year-old. It is hard to watch a movie from beginning to end without having to let the dog out, without having to change a diaper. And this is a film that if you stop and interrupt it, your brain is, wait, what was going on? Uh, I don't know. I can't give it as high a review as everybody else. Uh, I think it was a confusing mess that uh, maybe wasn't worth the time. But I don't know. Did you see this one, Alec? I haven't yet. I want to. Um, I like a lot of the movies Kaufman's written. 
Um, I, I can't give a full review on Schenectady, New York, because I fell asleep in the movie theater when I saw it. And woke up. Animal. <laughs> I woke up in the theater by myself. Like the movie was over. I slept like for like an hour at least, like soundly. Um, I wasn't really into it up to that point and just snoozed right off. So um, I'll have to tell you, Alec, every time I have slept through a movie, at least I woke up at the end. I never woke up to an empty theater. So I was it was weird. There. I was tripped out. Like, I'm like, well, where am I and what's going on? But so. you know what? There's a market for that. Netflix should have a queue of. Like I'm in, I'm having insomnia. I need to put the gun to fall asleep. Nothing with a lot of gunshot sounds, some relaxing soundtrack. I think that would be a good Netflix category. There actually are podcasts that specialize in that. They well, give you material. Voice. Pardon me, what's that? Very soothing voice, Larry. Well, I haven't, I haven't tried that genre yet, but there are people who <laughs> like use the right kind of music and the melodic tones and a way to get you to sleep. I've never tried it, but it's it's out there. Now, movies probably wouldn't work as well as just putting a ear, earbuds in and trying to go to sleep. I want to talk about a couple of things. One I'm wa- in the process of watching, and the other I have just finished watching. There's uh, one HBO series that I had has just completely blown my mind, and I really wasn't sure to think of it. What to think of it? I think there's about 10 episodes total. We're about in the middle of it. Loveland Country. Lovecraft Country. Or Lovecraft Country. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Uh by a lot of the same people who were uh, produced Get Out, the film, are involved in this HBO series. And it is just, it's its just amazing. It brings in the paranormal and the supernatural. There is r- racism that is embedded in it with a largely black cast. And uh, I have found that uh, it was a little hard to get into at first. Okay, where are they going with this? Like a lot of those um, multi-layered and multi-episodic HBO series, and you can't uh, binge on it. They only give you one every week, right? So you can't just sit there and watch them all like you can often on Netflix. But uh, if you have HBO or access to it or want to just try an HBO, uh, you know, sample when you get it free for a while, wait till it's over in that case. But uh, I am very impressed with this. It's a story about a a man who serves in an African-American man who serves in Korea, comes home. And, and try and is trying to sort out some things from his life and his family. And the, 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 it's a, it's a multi-layered uh, plot with what he experienced in Korea with the girl that he went out with there, uh, what he was dealing, what he's dealing with, with his family and a girl he's met while he's in his hometown. They travel around trying to find out some history on the family, get obviously very surprised about some of the things that they found and it's it's centered on race relations and the paranormal, and it's it's riveting. So uh, if you have it available, do it. Uh, you know, if, if you want to see the whole thing, wait until it runs its course, then you can watch it all on HBO. If you just want a trial subscription, so Lovecraft Country worth your uh, worth your time, and uh, it's not over yet. It's still moving on week to week. Another one that I saw was one I had not seen since I, I'm kind of showing my age here, since I first went to a theater and saw it in 1971. The name of the film is The Hospital. It's George C. Scott. Little background. George C. Scott had won the Oscar the year before for the movie Patton. He did an unbelievable job at that. But he was having a... Uh, difference of opinion with the people who ran the motion picture academy so he refused to accept the oscar he didn't even show up it wasn't like he was away working he just chose not to show up for the oscar ceremony i think the oscar went to the grave of Patton or something with the family but he never accepted it never wanted it and never took it then the next year for this role he was in in the hospital he was nominated for another Best Actor Academy Award, and he didn't win this time. And whether he may, maybe a Burgess Bridges with the Academy, because this was an excellent, uh, excellent job uh, that he did in this film. He very well could have won the Oscar for that. In the hospital, again, if you watch this film, you won't recognize this hospital. I mean, they have like regular beds. Nobody has a regular bed in a hospital anymore. And uh, it's just uh, what a hospital was like in the middle of Manhattan, Things going wild everywhere, the staff trying to keep track of things. And as you'll see in the film, if you go back and watch it, either for the first time or again after a while, 
you find out these people don't know what's going on and all kinds of bad things happen. There's a serial killer of doctors in the hospital and one at a nurse. And you try to figure out who's killing the, the doctors and the, and the nurse. And, and of course, um, George C. Scott plays the top doctor in this hospital, a medical director. And he's had all kinds of issues. He and his wife have separated for the like, 25th time. He's had alcohol problems. His kids don't speak to him. His life's a mess. He's got suicidal thoughts. Then Diana Rigg, her character comes in. Her father's in the hospital. They run some kind of uh, Christian, um, uh, I guess you'd call it a mission in a Native American country in New Mexico. And a whole story is just incredible. There's always crazy things going on. Patty Chayefsky won the Oscar for original screenplay for the hospital. And it was an outstanding script. As you may know, just a few years later, he won an Oscar for uh, writing the script uh, for the movie Network. Sadly, Patty Chayefsky died shortly after that movie came out. And we lost a, t a terrific talent when uh, when he died. So just uh, every now and then a movie pops up that I get the chance to see. The Hospital is one of those great classic films. But uh, would, rec would recommend if you have an opportunity to see a film like that, go to it. Where, where did you watch The Hospital, Larry? Well, it was on Turner Classic Movies, and I, I recorded it on my DVR, I think, a week or so ago, and finally got around to seeing it. And and sometimes I'll record it, all movie, read, watch it again. I don't want to watch this. When I turned this on, I just couldn't stop watching it. You know, it's just, it's riveting. And I would recommend it. Serial killer subplot? There is a serial killer subplot. When you find out who, <laughs> who the person is and why they're doing the killing, it's just, it's a typical Patty Chayefsky plot. It's like, wow, really? That's what's going on? <laughs> it's it's well written and the story's great. I recommend it. If you get the chance to see it, that old classic film from 71, The Hospital is a great choice. So I watched a couple old, I watched a lot of old movies. I'll list some of them. There's one I want to talk about though. I watched Ben-Hur, I watched Gigi, I watched Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, I watched Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, I watched um, some old Buster Keaton movie, The General, I watched All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, I watched and you told me last, last time you the three of us were together, talk, remember we talked about military films? Yeah. You hadn't seen it yet. You liked that film, All Quiet on the Western Front? Uh, yeah, for its time period. I mean, I think... Yeah, it was, I mean, it was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, one I want to talk about is because I want to say one thing about it. I watched... Uh, speaking of uh, Network, this was a tie-in there. I watched Dog Day Afternoon. Great film. And then I looked it up. Sidney Lumet, or Lumet, or however you say his last name, the director of that film, has to be one of the most underrated directors in the history of films. Not only did he do Dog Day Afternoon... Not only did he do The Verdict, which is another great film with Paul Newman, he did 12 Angry Men, and he did Network, and he never won an Oscar. He net for I agree. writing, for directing, for anything. I agree. He was just he was always around when really wonderful things and creative things were happening, but never got the credit for it. So there's at least three movies there that I'd put in my top 100, top 50 films ever made. And then you look at the rest of the films he's made. He's done some good ones. Even the films that were kind of bombs, like The Wiz, at least mm -hmm. it was creative. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. another unsung hero. What'd you say? Say that again. Say that again. Didn't he do the Vin Diesel with hair movie, Find Me Guilty? Wasn't that like one of yeah, his last movies? Yeah, he did some weird ones later on. And he did a film with like Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour. Before Hoffman. the Devil Knows You're Dead. Yep. With uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was all right. That's, that's a, it's dark and depressing, but it's really well done. I think Albert Finney was in it. It's a great cast. So let me ask uh, all three of you as we wrap this up for, for this, uh, this episode. Um, I've been looking at what's coming film-wise, and here's, here's my hope. Every now and then, a small or medium-sized film breaks through. Uh, many years ago, it was Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. If anybody remembers that film, it was cheap film and all of a sudden everybody had to go see that and, and, and nobody projected it was going to be a big blockbuster film made a lot more money than it was expected uh there have been a lot of other examples of of that in, in the last couple of decades films that were released and you know the theater put some investment in it but you know okay we may get a 
whatever. It's, it's just a small film. You don't expect a lot. And boom, something happens. That's the only way we're going to find a popular film in the next few months. So, Adam, what do you think the chances are that something like that might happen? So I've seen some trailers for some things that look interesting, and I think Alec might talk a little more about some of the stuff that he's excited coming up. But I don't know. Here's my theory. I think whoever wins the Oscar this year, you got to put an asterisk next to their name. It's kind of like whoever wins the NBA title this year, you're like, well, but it was the bubble season. Does it, does that really count as much as the other years? So um, I don't know. We might have some really interesting choices nominated for best picture at the Oscars because we don't know what's coming out and we'll see. And they're opened it up this year that it doesn't even have to be in theaters. It could be a streaming only choice. So, well, L.A. Really and New York theaters out. aren't open yet. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Alec. I'm sorry. I think I think Netflix is just going to dominate it this this year. In all honesty, I know um, they were kind of looked down upon in the past. Like a lot of people felt Roma should have won when it was up for Best Picture, and feel it didn't because it was a Netflix movie. Um, you have the Aaron Sorkin Chicago Seven movie coming out here in a couple weeks. I'm sure that's going to get a ton of nominations. Um, I'm guessing the Academy will backtrack and throw a lot of love to Spike Lee's The Five Bloods by the time this year is done. Well, what about, well, the, like, like, say, an HBO movie like Bad Education? Where, is, is, that, is that eligible? Well, that's my question. They said streaming I, only. That's going to be that – was, if it was eligible at the Emmys for Best Original Movie, does that disqualify it? For I, think, Oscar? I think that would disqualify it. Yeah, HBO has traditionally not been in the Oscars, but as Adam said, anything can happen this year. Uh, you know, we have we have we have to remember that LA and New York theaters still are not open. I think they're starting to open some theaters in LA. Well, they did have a new Oscar rule that they are going to weigh the diversity of the cast in the Best Picture thing. So. Well, that, I, I read that and. Uh, you know what that reminded me? I hate to say this, but, you know, for years I made my living, you know, with uh, dealing with tax law. And then I've, le- I've decided to back off this year. But for five years, I taught tax law to other tax professionals for Indiana University. And what struck me when I saw those rules that the Academy put together reminded me of some of the things I've seen in tax law. Have you seen these, Alec? The bylaws? I'm talking about the new rules the Academy <laughs> has for diversity. I haven't researched it too much. I've heard a little bit that there needs to be X amount of. Um, well, you've you got know, like four. Black hair, you got four. Hair. You got four principles or, or ideas, and you have to have uh, two of the four. I mean, it's just like my gosh, I'm back in tax law again. Can you take away Schindler's List, Oscar. Is that what we're talking about now? I mean, well, of course, yeah. Different rules. Then now they're saying would Schindler's List even be up for an Oscar for Best Picture? So, you know, this is what the, the Academy is, is is really struggling to deal with this criticism that they have not promoted, uh, you know, minorities uh, than their films and films that featured them or are produced partially by them. And then they also say we don't want to go too far and eliminate too many films. So they've got these four principles. You have to have two of the four. That was the best they could come up with. Uh, I'm going to see how it works. Uh, it's going to be a tough. Uh, uh, it's going to be a tough line that they're going to have to walk. But I understand what they had to do, how they went about doing it. You know, this this strikes me as something a, a large committee would come up with. You know, it's just it's just the nature of the uh, of the beast. I'm afraid. But no, that's that's going to be something to watch among other things with the Academy Awards. I am hopeful. And I want to get you two to, to weigh in on this. I am hopeful that people are, number one, more comfortable going to movies at or around Thanksgiving and after. Plus, I'm hoping there's good content out there for people to see. Alec, do you think that will be the case? I don't think we're going to see another major release in movie theaters this year. Hmm. Okay, Adam, your thoughts? I agree. I think they already announced 2021, so maybe after holidays. But see, Christmas time was a big time for uh, people to go to movies. So uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll see what happens. They're, they're missed, they missed out on the summer window, which is usually their most profitable time. And now Christmas is probably the next biggest time for a big release. So do they want to put something out in January? In a normal calendar, that would be the worst time to put out a big movie. But we'll see. Well, the biggest concern that I have personally 
uh, is listening to the public health professionals and the epidemiologists. They are saying that the way these things have gone in the past, we could see another wave in the winter as people move more indoors in most parts of the country. And that as much as I would hope that people would feel more comfortable going to movie theaters toward the end of the year, and maybe some of the uh, studios will change their mind or release some good films toward the end of the year, uh, they would have to have confidence people do feel comfortable going in. And if, we, if we're in the middle of a second wave, you know, that's not going to happen. So there's just too many unanswered questions. But I'm always hopeful. I'm not, uh, but I'm kind of with you two. I'm, I'm not uh, realistically thinking that. So it, 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 how we as a society and the theater industry in particular deal with everything at the end of this year, uh, that'll kind of tell us where we're going. These theaters, you know, as, as we see AMC, the biggest chain in the country is heavily leveraged. Their creditors are only going to go along with them for so long. So we'll have to see how that, that shakes out in the end. I'm still okay. paying my AMC A-list membership. So I'm throwing money into their coffers every month. I'm, I'm way, I pay 20 bucks a month still. I want to be a patron of the arts and try to help keep them afloat. So you're, uh, you're, you're getting your minimums in now? I, I pay $20 a month to them. Um, and what do you get? Sorry. Do, you as much, do you get to go as much as you want or just kind of remind us because these have changed over time? I can go I can go up to three times a week. I've only been twice in the last month. Um, there's not really much. I thought about going to see the Russell Crowe Angry White Guy movie. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> well, Russell Crowe is the kind of film we need nowadays, right? Russell Crowe is the perfect Angry White Guy character. That's all there is to it. L Larry, um, before we yes. no, I know Alec wants to talk about some things that are excited coming up, but I thought before we get to that, I did want to it's since the last time we spoke, uh, Hollywood did lose a major figure in a uh, Chadwick Boseman. I know that all three of us were a fan of his work. Uh, just kind of what does it mean to kind of lose someone like Chadwick Boseman kind of at his prime right now um, with him being so young and kind of taking a lot of us by surprise? I didn't know if either of you had some thoughts. Cause I know both of you are big fans. Well, I know, Alec and I did talk about that last time. You and I didn't have time to do that. Uh, most odds for people that I said before, and I'll, I'll let Alec talk and then Adam, you can wrap it up. But I, what amazed me the most about Chadwick Boseman is that I think he will be remembered as the man who starred in a film that made African-American movies profitable. That had never happened. The studio heads always said, can't make a film with mostly African-Americans in it. People won't go, won't make any money. That had actually been their experience in the past. Of course, they hadn't done it that often, but they were gun shy financially well they give the big budget uh they put chadwick boseman in the starring role and there were a lot of people great direction that was just a good film everything came together but without a star that could pull it off it never would have come together and chadwick boseman did that masterfully he was perfect in that role so now that stigma is gone and now we'll see more films big budget films featuring African-American cast because now the studios know, okay, we do a good film. We can make a lot of money with it. Jack Wood Bozeman wasn't the only one, but he was a very important part of that. And Alec, I know you and I talked about that uh, last time. Uh, any additional thoughts on that? I have been impressed by his acting uh, throughout his uh, sadly all too brief career. I mean, he pretty much came on screen around like 2012 and did all these roles. He played Thurgood Marshall, James Brown, Jackie Robinson, T'Challa. I mean, the guy's a legend. I'm, I'm sure he's probably going to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor for The Five Bloods. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins because people love him, and they should. He was a brave guy and a good actor. So the thing about him that really yeah. to me is that while he was making a lot of these movies, he was undergoing chemotherapy. Um, yeah. Sometimes I have a hard time getting to work at the restaurant, let alone, and I don't have chemotherapy. Sometimes it's just me getting old, Larry, and my body being sore. Uh, I know you're going to laugh at me saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really feeling sorry for you guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Go ahead. So I, it kind of puts things in perspective. A lot of us, you know, we're going through a hard time with COVID. Sometimes it's, you know, it's, things have improved, but still, you know, we went through a lot of things in society. Sometimes it's tough to get up and keep the motivation to keep going in life. And here's a guy who had this adversity 
And not only did he keep going, he put out amazing work that would have been exhausting under the best of circumstances. And I think that's truly inspirational that he was undergoing chemotherapy while doing the physical things that he was doing in these movies. It's incredibly impressive. Yeah, I talked about that last time with uh, Alec, and, and I think that's so right. Uh, one thing Alec talked about last time, and I don't think we could ever un- underscore this enough, uh, he continued to work while he was undergoing these treatments. an amazing feat, no matter what age you are, what physical, general physical shape you were in before this happened. But his wife and his family could easily have said, hey, you need to be with us. You're not well. Let's spend time with you uh, while you're still here. And they encouraged him to continue to work. They didn't have to do that. And Alec made that point last time he and I talked about this. So I think we should all be thankful to him and his family willing to share him with the rest of us and continue, excuse me, continue to leave this amazing film legacy that he has. Okay, final thoughts. Uh, Alec, your final thoughts before we wrap this up. Regarding Chadwick Boseman, regarding the state of movies. What movie are you excited to see? This is your, you, you keep a good job your, on that. This is uh, your, okay, this is final thoughts on absolutely anything you want to talk about, Alec. Okay. Um, well, I was in the middle of writing a review when we started recording. Um, I watched a movie last night called Ava that is being savaged by critics. It's kind of interesting. It was released to Redbox to VOD and in movie theaters simultaneously. It's only playing at one theater here locally, the uh, Georgetown cinemas down on like 38th and Georgetown. But uh, the movie was okay. I thought I liked it better than most people seem to. It's an action movie with a really good cast. So if you want to see something with high production value and want to only spend like two bucks on Redbox, it's not a bad way to go. Uh, Jessica Chastain's in it. John Malkovich is in it. Um, Colin Farrell is in it. Common, the rapper's in it. Um, I think I'm only going to give it like two and a half or three out of five stars, but it was kind of fun. Let me ask you this, and, and because uh, before you go, Adam touched on this before. Because we don't have a plethora of material out there to watch, do you want to keep, as a reviewer, do you keep your standards the same or do you relax them some in this atmosphere? What's your review on that? I pretty much keep them the same. I try to, well, one, see how much I enjoyed the movie, and two, I kind of try to look into what I think the the filmmaker's objective or goal was and how successful they are in in achieving that goal. Um, This guy who made this movie is kind of interesting. He he teamed with um, Chastain before making The Help. He's a guy named Tate Taylor. He made a movie last year with another cast member from The Help called Ma, with Octavia Spencer, he's making all these genre movies with the women who are in his movie, The Help. So I'm waiting like for an Emma Stone Western or an Octavia Spencer sci-fi movie. I'm pretty excited. Octavia okay. Spencer could pull it off. Oh, she could without a doubt. Adam, your chance, uh, last thoughts before we go. Uh, well, I'm kind of, you know, the movie theaters need to come back because I'm starting to find other things to do, Larry. You know, I've been, uh, you know we're all busy people um and uh, i enjoy relaxing and watching a movie uh and i like going to the theaters but uh they got to do a little better than uh, some of the movies they have coming out now i looked at some of these descriptions because i was really hoping to go to a theater it's not doing it larry it's not doing there is a, a movie that's playing as part of uh, heartland and it's playing just in theaters right now that just came out i wasn't really hit to it until a couple of days ago i think it's called the last shift um, Richard Jenkins is in it, so that's playing in theaters right now. If you're looking for something to see, uh, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, your your example of the NFL, Adam. Remember, yeah, the NFL had a couple of uh, interruptions in, in recent history, and they've always come back and people came back and watched the NFL. They filled the stadiums again. The TV ratings these, came back. These bad so movies maybe, that we're getting now—they're like the scab players. <laughs> they're like the replacements. On yeah, the upside, had, go ahead, go ahead, Alec. <laughs> on the upside, though, during this time, I'm seeing a lot of movies I may not have seen otherwise. Like independent movies seem to be getting elevated somewhat. Not all of them are great, but I'm seeing movies uh, that I wouldn't see otherwise. So that's kind of exciting in a way too. 
Yeah, I, uh, I want to say a couple of things. Well, number one, uh, I share all your feelings about theaters. I hate people. I hope people do not get out of the habit of going to the movie theater. I think once there's good content out there and, and people will come back, but I don't know when that's going to be. And it really is going to have a lot to do with science and how far along science can go and in trying to uh, deal with the pandemic, with the coronavirus, the COVID-19. So what that will tell the story uh, to a great extent, um, I think we need to watch for that. Uh, I do think that we may see some films break out that normally would not. As Alex said, that could be a good thing. Adam has mentioned this too. I'm hoping that we do get uh, a film that breaks out that maybe might not have received the attention had the big uh, budget films uh, been available and they're all being delayed, number one, because I don't think there's an audience out there for it uh, with uh, people not unwilling to go to the, the movie theater or just with the limits on the, on the seating in the movie theaters. Uh, but I think there's been some difficulties getting production started again on some of these films. So this also gives the producers uh, uh, some breathing room to, to get back into production and, and start making films again. Uh, you mentioned Heartland uh, uh, Alec, and, and we are going to work on uh, Heartland. We had a great guest, Julie Reese, who came on our podcast and, and talked about the short film festival, which they said was a very big success. The big festival is coming up in October, and I've been in contact with uh, them. We're hoping to get somebody from Heartland on our podcast to talk more about uh, the main festival coming up, which is going to be at a drive-in theater. They're going to also be at Connor Prairie in people's cars, I think. And uh, they're also going to be online. So going to movie theaters, even the film festivals are, are trying to avoid that right now for, for obvious reasons. Any uh, quick hits before we go? No quick hits. Okay. Thank you so much, Adam Austin, owner of Donatello's Restaurant in downtown Carmel. If you love Italian food, you need to visit uh, Donatello's, a favorite of my wife, Jane, and I. Uh, Alec Toombs also, both Alec and Adam are the, the people who do the writing for Grade A Movies. This is the Grade A Movies podcast. You can find their reviews and all their content about film at gradeamovies.com. So, Alec and Adam, thank you so much. We'll be back soon. And thanks for listening to the Grade A Movies podcast. <laughs>